This episode is about Disney and Disneyland, and yet I have to give you a language warning, so it's that kind of Disney episode. You might spot them in the smoking section at Disneyland. Grown adults wearing matching denim jackets, big patches on the back like you might see on a motorcycle gang. People smoke a little bit, and then we'll decide where we want to go from there. They go by names like Tomorrowland Ravagers, Golden Skulls, Fountains of Color, Nightmare Crew, Sons of Anakin, and the White Rabbits. They're just Disney fans. There are lots of rumors about these groups, that they take over whole rides, that they get in fights, sue each other, claiming gangster-like tactics. Then we looked closer, and we saw the Mickey Mouse hands on the Skull logos. We found a lot of glitter, and as Alice in Wonderland would say, things got curiouser and curiouser. From Business Insider and Stitcher, this is Household Name. Brands you can trust. Brands you know, stories you don't. I'm Dan Bobkoff. Today, the gangs at Disneyland. It's not a gang. There's, there's nothing gang about it. Today, the social clubs at Disneyland that look kind of like gangs. Hundreds of Disney fans are in these groups. And it makes you wonder, why do grown adults dress up in biker vests to go to a theme park? Stay with us. All right, our producer Sarah Wyman is from Southern California. She grew up not far from Disneyland, close enough to go on field trips there in high school. So when we were looking for stories a few months ago, we saw these headlines about gangs being reported in the news. And I asked her to look into what was going on. So, Sarah, what is going on? Okay, so here's the thing. Most people think of Disneyland as just being, like, for kids. But for as long as Disneyland has existed, there have also been adult fans of the park. Grown-ups with season passes who just love going to Disneyland. And in 2013, some of those fans started to get organized. They formed groups of like-minded Disnerds who wanted to hang out at the park together. And they called their groups social clubs. Okay, so is this a lot of people? I mean, uh, how big a deal is this? I mean, it started out way smaller than it is now, like just a couple of clubs. But word spread really fast. Other adult Disney fans started noticing these clubs around the park, seeing pictures of them on Facebook and Instagram, hearing about it from their friends. And the social clubs took off like crazy. How crazy? At this very moment, Dan, there are more than 70 registered clubs on the Social Clubs of Disneyland website. Some of these clubs have hundreds of people in them. They meet up and hang out in the park almost every day. They ride rides, get food, walk around as a group. And then there's their outfits. So how did these, you know, we heard about these biker vests style. How did those vests, those matching vests become part of the equation? Well, the social clubs wanted to make themselves recognizable so they could easily spot one another around the park. And it was too hot to wear jackets. And they weren't into T-shirts, so they settled on vests. And they really leaned into it. Like, they got giant patches, rockers is what they're called, um, to sew on the backs. They came up with funny names for their clubs, like Sons of Anakin and the Main Street Elite. 
And they redrew Disney characters to make them look tougher, edgier, kind of badass. So basically, if Walt Disney had had a biker gang aesthetic, this is what the whole place would look like. Exactly. And on some level, I think the social clubs knew that this was kind of a polarizing choice. But, like, they thought it was funny, kind of harmlessly ironic to equate this very childish thing they were doing, going to Disneyland with a bunch of adults to hang out, with something that felt much more adult, much more hardcore. That was the point. Here's the problem, though. Once the social club started to project that image, even if to them it was tongue-in-cheek, they started to attract some people who were actually into the motorcycle gang aesthetic, or at least more into that. And the bigger the social clubs got, the more people started making their own clubs, the less control anyone had over who was joining the clubs, what those clubs stood for, or what version of the community they were presenting to the outside world. And that's where the real problems started. To give you an idea, look at these headlines. Okay, one of them says, Lawsuit alleges mafia-like tactics aimed at a Disneyland social club. The young, tattooed, obsessive fans roaming Disneyland. And Disneyland social clubs accused of behaving like outlaw motorcycle gangs. Sarah, is the story you found at all like these headlines? I actually found a different story. And like all good Disney fairy tales, it starts in a magic kingdom with a princess of sorts, with a big dream and some big problems. Her name is Roxy, and she does not look like she's in a biker gang. My hair is brightly colored, and my go-to look is covered in glitter and hologram. Um, I, I, I look like a walking cartoon character. Roxy is the president of a social club called the Bangerang Babes. Actually, she doesn't like being called the president. Presidents can be impeached. So instead, she goes by HBIC of the Bangerang Babes, head bitch in charge, unless we're in Disneyland, and then it stands for head babe in charge. There's no official leadership structure for the whole social club community, but Roxy is kind of as close as it gets. She plans events, she handles media requests, she mediates conflicts between clubs. If you have a problem, you take it to Roxy. You need a place to crash, you know, you need help with your car, you need anything. You've got it, you know, and sometimes it comes from your own club and sometimes it comes from other clubs. Your club is like your immediate family and your and the community is like your extended family. <laughs> Every club has its own distinct personality. Roxy's club, the Bangerang Babes, is an eclectic group. Like sneezy and sleepy or happy and grumpy, at first glance, it's not totally obvious what they have in common. But like Snow White and her seven dwarves, the bangering babes have formed their own merry gang. Now don't tell me who you are. Let me guess. Obviously sparkly, gonna add some rhinestones to it, making sure it's super extra, and then I'll wear a blue. That's Ashley. <laughs> why, why, yeah, yeah, that's true. Then there's Lawrence, professional makeup artist by day and drag queen Lily Rose by night. Usually when we come home from the park, I'm always like, okay, rhinestone check. And Joe. I'm the I'm the boring one. Of, well, I'm, no, I always say I'm extra like avocado, you know, like a Chipotle. <laughs> These people are Roxy's family. She trusts the Pixies to babysit her son. Ashley, who's a nurse, has taken care of Roxy when she's been sick. Joe went through a breakup earlier this year, and Lawrence and Ashley helped him get back out there. 
And all the Pixies have spent hours helping Lily Rose film an audition for the TV show RuPaul's Drag Race. You know, you talk to social club members and they'll tell you that, you know, they felt like an outcast and they met their club and now they have a family or they were alone and, you know, now they have best friends. And um, But almost everyone in the social club scene was some kind of outcast at some point and then we found each other. Who are you, uh, my dear? Snow White, the princess. Yeah. But like most princesses, Roxy's road to her happily ever after, to Disney, wasn't an easy one. Once upon a time, in a faraway land of Northern California, Roxy grew up watching Disney movies. And like a lot of Disney princesses, she had an evil step-parent. Well, evil might be a strong word, but that's what it felt like to her. When Roxy was six, she says her stepdad tried to make her sleep in an unfinished attic space. It was totally Cinderella, though. You know, with the whole, like, stepmom locking her in the attic type of thing, like making her live in the attic. I was like, okay, yeah, we're we're Cinderella over here. But from that, I took, well, that means that I'm just going to be a princess. He orders me around. Well, there's one thing. They can't order me to stop dreaming. And perhaps someday. Roxy started looking for ways to bring that Disney magic into her real life. So for as long, literally as long as I can remember, I have been playing in costumes and wigs and like (laughs) that kind of stuff. (laughs) When she was a teenager, she tried acting. Anything that I could do or anything that I could go to that would let me dress up or put on a costume or stuff like that. And as an adult, Roxy kept dressing up. She found new ways to perform different versions of herself, more confident versions. Like my 18th birthday, I went down to a strip club and was like, you want to hire me? I'll make you a bunch of money. Versions that literally fought evil, or at least people dressed up like evil. I was a wrestler after that, and I did like WWF style wrestling. And then Roxy moved on to live-action role-playing, LARPing, and Dungeons & Dragons. She built alter egos in new universes. Roxy was feeling good about herself, good about her life, until those versions of herself weren't the ones she needed anymore. By 2014, Roxy had had a son, Skylar. Skylar had special needs. Roxy and Skylar's dad had split up. And Roxy was getting tired of fighting evil. That's when she rediscovered Disneyland. When you walk into Disneyland, you're just, you're transported and it's a different place and the real world problems aren't there anymore. And you can just go back to being, you know, a kid. And for a few hours, you can just let go of everything else and have that childhood innocence and go on rides and eat junk food and, you know, just be in a place that is safe and magic. When he was designing Disneyland, Walt went to great lengths to keep the real world out. Like, it's really hard to find a newspaper in Disneyland. There's nowhere to watch live sports either. And in his most magical trick of all, Walt built Disneyland so you can't hear traffic when you're in there, even though the park sits right next to a major freeway. And so when you walk into Disneyland, you're just, you're transported. 
Main Street USA, which stretches from the entrance turnstiles to the center of Disneyland, is based on the neighborhood where Walt grew up, in Marceline, Missouri. It's the architectural equivalent of a barbershop quartet, quaint and old-timey. The buildings are different shades of bright pastel with crisp white scalloped molding. It's the best version of his hometown that Walt could imagine. And so when you're walking up Main Street, that nostalgia comes through. You're in a place that doesn't actually exist anywhere in America, but still feels recognizable and powerfully nostalgic. Disneyland is a place where we can go, and it doesn't matter where we're from, you know, if we're rich or poor, if we're, you know, male or female or whatever, it's a place where we can go, and we all feel like little kids. So in early 2014, when Roxy first learned about these new Disneyland social clubs, she decided to start her own. They called themselves the Bangerang Babes, or the Pixies for short. Roxy says they're kind of like the sorority of the social club scene. And Roxy, as the founder of the Bangerang Babes, became a little bit like the fairy godmother in Cinderella. You can't go to the ball looking like that. The ball? Oh, but I'm not. Of course you are. But we'll have to hurry. Because even miracles take a little time. Miracles? Mm-hmm. The Bangerang Babes are fabulous, glamorous, over-the-top, super colorful people. And if you don't like glitter, you should not be a member. Like any other self-respecting Disney social club, the Bangerang Babes wear vests with customized rockers. Remember, those are patches. You've got a top rocker, a bottom rocker, and that have words on them. And then the middle is Tinkerbell, and it's like a bust. Um, she's got Mickey ears on. She's got a big bow on her head. So it's very, you know, it's it's the kind of vest that the bikers wear, that like sense of uh, anarchy, you know, that kind of thing. But a lot glitterier. Roxy moved from the Bay Area to Southern California so she could live closer to the park. She's only a five-minute drive away from downtown Disney. She and the Bangerang Babes go to the park as often as they can, and they dress up. Though, to be clear, they're not dressed up as Disney characters, but as themselves. The most colorful, extravagant, fantastical versions they can dream up. Ashley, one of the pixies, explains it's more than just a costume. A, a, a pumpkin? Mm-hmm. Now, uh, whether it be a dress, a, a necklace. You can't go to the ball without um, a horse. Objects come to life. But instead of a horse, you are the coachman, of course. It's not just a human, it's, you know, it's their objects, their accessories turned into breathing things for us. That does it, I guess, except for, oh, yes, the finishing touch. And that's you. Yes? I was like, I want to walk out of here looking like a drag queen. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm a drag queen. (laughs) Putting on the makeup and the outfits and, and, you know, the costumes, so to speak, it helps and it does get you in character, I guess is the best way to put it. You know, when I'm just me, when I'm just on the couch in mom mode, that's different. Then Skylar is my main priority, you know, my house, you know, stuff like that. I'm not sure that I could consistently be the same person that I am at Disneyland if I wasn't done up. Why, it's like a dream, a wonderful dream come true. Roxy had started to feel like the Bangerang Babes were her happily ever after. But like all dreams, well, I'm afraid this can't last forever. 
on a September afternoon last year, Roxy got a phone call. Jake called me. And he was like, you, you, you have to hear what's going on. We're being sued. I'm like, what do you mean we're being sued? I absolutely did not believe it. I actually kind of thought he was playing a prank on me. Like, it was that ridiculous that I was just like, no, no, <laughs> you're, you're fucking with me. Turns out, he wasn't. On the stroke of 12, the spell will be broken and everything will be as it was before. That's coming up. So we started this episode seeing what looked like biker gangs hanging out at Disneyland. Then we met Roxy, and she's not at all what we expected. Her group is more of a family of Disney lovers who share this common bond together. And then there's this lawsuit that makes these groups sound very different than the impression we got from Roxy. So Sarah, what is going on here? To understand that, we have to go back to that phone call Roxy got from this guy. My name is Jake Fight. Jake tells Roxy that some guy from another social club is suing him, plus a bunch of other social clubs, and even Disneyland and a big health insurer. The lawsuit alleges things like defamation, invasion of privacy, conspiracy, and intentional infliction of emotional distress. This is where those headlines came from about gangster-like tactics. The lawsuit is still pending, but a lot of people in these groups will tell you they think the whole thing just comes down to one guy with a big grudge. What's important for our story, though, is what this lawsuit has done to the image of the social clubs. So you haven't seen any evidence of what's in this lawsuit? No, but if you look at people like Jake, you can see why some people might not have the best first impression of some of these groups. He is a lot less glittery than Roxy, and a lot less outwardly Disney. I guess you'd say I'm just your average white guy with a beard. Uh, You wouldn't think twice about it if you saw me on the street. It's not like I have a closet full of sparkly Mickey ears that I collect. No, not at all. Jake's the founder of another social club called the White Rabbits. That's an Alice in Wonderland reference, in case that wasn't obvious. To Jake, Disney isn't important. But Disneyland is. He and some of the other White Rabbits even host a podcast all about Disney's underbelly. The show's about Disneyland, but it doesn't sound at all like something Disney would produce. Down the rabbit hole with idiots. Jake goes to the park with his buddies to feel like he's back in high school. And like a bunch of rowdy high schoolers, they're sometimes a nuisance to other park goers. Like, Jake told me about this thing they do called a ride takeover. Yeah, I I think the most we ever had was about 170-something in line. And uh, there's a ride at Disneyland's California Adventure. It's called Soarin' Over the World. And it's this big... It's a whole bunch of clubs, everybody in their vests, and they all get on the same ride. So a whole roller coaster or a whole room or every car on a ride is full of social club members. It means absolutely nothing to anybody. You know, there's no real value in that. 
But to do it with a group of 170 of your friends just to say you did it is a lot of fun. But it does mean something to other regular park goers who aren't in social clubs. Critics like Jason Petros. You know, if you see one person in a vest, you, they're like kind of, not to offend anybody, but they're kind of like cockroaches. Where you see one, you know there's a bunch just right in the area and you just have to wait a little bit. Jason is an adult Disneyland super fan. He spends a lot of time in the park and he doesn't like the social clubs. He doesn't think they're gangs, and he doesn't believe the online naysayers either. But when he sees the social clubs at Disneyland, he does find a lot of them intimidating. He doesn't like it when they crowd lines in big groups or when they act like they have some kind of special claim on the park. And he really doesn't like the leathery biker look that a lot of the clubs wear. It's that tough act mentality in a place that's literally designed for families to have fun together doing the same thing, it doesn't fit. It doesn't belong. It's not welcome. You know, they call us vesties. This is Roxy again. Uh, they, they, they think it's like a derogatory term. For a while, this dynamic, the critics in the park and the social clubs in the park, all that stayed in the park. But then... So the article came out. The article about the lawsuit. And, of course, anyone that didn't like us already was thrilled with this article because they could use it as ammo. Now the social clubs were under a bigger microscope. Roxy's photo was included in the L.A. Times article that initially unleashed this wave of media attention on the social clubs. She was quoted in the story, too. So when people started commenting on the article, calling the social clubs names... She took it really personally. And we'll get into these, like, conversations with them. And it's like, well, you know, do you have a problem with us as people? Oh, well, no, not really. You know, okay, well, has anyone ever harmed you, you know, from our community? Oh, no. No, not really. Okay, well, what, you know, what is the problem? Oh, well, you guys look like, you know, like gangsters. You look like thugs or you look, you know, and I'll send a picture of my group and be like, really? We look like thugs? Are you serious? You know, like, I was not aware that gangsters wore so much glitter. For Roxy, the reason the bangering babes exist, the reason the social clubs exist, is to remind people that there's magic in the world. And for the bangering babes, that has everything to do with how they look and with how other people feel when they see them all dressed up. Roxy told me about a time she was standing in line for the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. She was wearing a poofy ball gown skirt, bedazzled from head to toe. All of a sudden, I feel this tug on my dress, and I look down, and there's a little girl, she must have been like three years old, standing next to me, tugging on my dress and looking up at me. And I was like, oh, hello. And I'm like looking around like, where are her parents? The girl was totally spellbound by Roxy. She was like, I'm going to ride with the princess. So Roxy told the little girl's mom to move up next to her in line, to ride the ride with her. This is how Roxy wants everyone to feel when they see her. She wants them to see a person who's bright, happy, fun, and hopeful. She wants them to see a Disney princess. Roxy's been trying on different costumes her whole life to make herself feel like she's succeeding in that mission. With the bangerang babes, with the social clubs, she feels like she's finally done it. So when people who don't know her look at her and say she looks like a thug, like a bully, like a criminal... To Roxy, it feels like they're saying she's failed. But in the face of all the criticism, Roxy isn't shutting down the Bangarang Babes. She's deliberately growing it. 
she's recruiting new members. After the break, Roxy takes a stand. We're back. How are things going over here? Good. We're working on here. Wow. Roxy and the Bangerang Babes are at Lawrence's house. Lawrence, again, is a professional makeup artist, so there's a reason why they like to get dressed up here. So this is actually a ritual for us. I usually do her makeup and her hair, um, but I'm actually using a stick foundation. They're getting ready to go to Disneyland, but it's not just any old day trip to the park. Today, they're pulling out all the stops, dressing to the nines, putting extra glitter on everything. Because today, they're welcoming a new member into their family. I am wearing a blue and white polka dot, like pinup style girl dress. And I'm wearing my black vest with lots of cute buttons. This is Becky. She's been hanging out with the Bangerang Babes since January, since before the social clubs landed themselves in their PR crisis of sorts. And Becky doesn't know it, but today the Bangerang Babes are going to give her her patch. It's an initiation. A lot of clubs, they call them prospects or they call them hangarounds or whatnot, and we don't. We call them pledges, just like if you were to pledge a sorority. And we have a hazing process. The process starts with an online application. It's 20 pages long, and it's got all kinds of questions on it. Not just the ones you'd expect if you were trying to join what is essentially a Disneyland fan club. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how. It could be my mother. You have to fill out the application. If you make it past that screening, you're invited to spend some time with the bangering babes. And this is where the real test begins. The hazing. It's brutal, but in the most Disney way possible. Our pledges will, they'll be the ones that have to go get a table, you know, if we're going to have lunch. Or, you know, go stand in line for a Dole Whip, which is a huge, like, punishment at Disneyland. Dole Whip is this creamy, pineapple-flavored soft serve you can buy at the park. The stuff has a cult following. You can buy Dole Whip merch, like t-shirts online. To Disneyland superfans, Dole Whip is as much a symbol of Disneyland as the Mickey ears people wear around the park. That dumb Dole Whip line is so long all the time, and it's in the sun. And, like, so that's one of our favorite ways of, like, hazing is, you know, we'll give the pledge a bunch of cash and be like, okay, you got to go wait in line, and we're going to go over here and sit in the shade, and you got to bring back ten Dole Whips. And when the pledge comes back to the table, sweaty from standing in the sun and juggling ten Dole Whips in a little carton carrier, the bangerang babes are watching them intently. So one of the things we're looking for is people who aren't going to turn really bitchy. If they get cranky, if they get tired, if they get hot, if they get hungry, you know, they're not going to snap at a little kid or, you know, or be rude to somebody in line. And and we want to make sure that we still can keep a smile on our face and we still have like that Disney spirit and that Disney magic. Becky's pledge test was a little more unconventional. Roxy got married in August. Her dream venue became available really suddenly and she had 12 days to plan her wedding. 
So, a la the woodland creatures in a classic Disney working sequence, the Pixies stepped up. Lawrence made Roxy's dress, Joe and Ashley decorated it and helped install lights under the skirt, and Becky took over planning the reception. She was at Lawrence's house every single day, pouring over floor plans and making mood boards. Back at Lawrence's, the Bangarang babes are almost ready to head to the park. Becky looks on as Lawrence and Roxy apply the final touches to their makeup, and Joe and Ashley make sure every last rhinestone is firmly hot glue-gunned into place on their vests. At around 3 p.m., after more than four hours of getting ready, the Pixies and Becky finally make their exit and pile into cars headed to the park. On the tram ride from the parking lot to the park, Roxy explains that they won't patch anyone into the club unless they attend at least three Bangarang Babe get-togethers. If they can't commit to that, she figures they probably don't want to be in a social club anyway. Becky pipes up to ask, do weddings count? It could be a wedding. <laughs> and I've already met my three. <laughs> right? The tram pulls up to downtown Disney. The moment you step onto Disney grounds, you are transported into... Disney. Yep. All right. Roxy and Lily Rose lead the Pixies through a big plaza where tourists are buying tickets and old-timey music plays in the background. The Bangarang babes strut their stuff up to the turnstile. Heads are turning. Two women come up to Roxy. They've been admiring her hair from afar. Oh, thank you! <laughs> It's like the Bangarang Babes, like Roxy, have this kind of magnetism. Between the sparkles and the rhinestones, Roxy is literally shining. The Pixies head into California Adventure, which is the addition to the Disneyland Park that opened in 2001. The rides are a little wilder there. The feel is more Pixar, less classic Disney. My favorite ride's Haunted Mansion. Oh, yeah. Space Mountain's pretty scary, right? It can be, yeah. It's dark and it is. It's dark and fast. That's true. They stop at Sonoma Terrace, an outdoor restaurant tucked under Grizzly Falls, a giant river rapid ride. You can smell the chlorine hanging in the air, hear the rush of the big waterfall, and every few minutes, conversation is interrupted by the screams of a fresh raft full of passengers being launched over the precipice and down the big waterfall. The terrace is basically empty, except for a couple dozen social club members from different clubs. The white rabbits are there in full force, and scattered among their black and gold patches are the more colorful Bangarang Babes and Fountain of Color Club patches. Hi. 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 How are you? Good. Good. I didn't even know you guys were in town. Roxy knows everyone, and when she's finally finished saying hello to all the familiar faces, she climbs onto a bench. I was like, hey, can I have everyone's attention, please? And they all looked, and there's Becky, and she, you know, she's very attentive, like, especially as a pledge. You know, so she turns, and she's looking at me with her big eyes, and she's so cute. And I I said a couple things, and I was like, so Becky, and her eyes just got so big. And she was like, what? We decided that today we're going to make Becky a pixie. Becky, welcome to the pixies. (laughs) 
And like, you know, we gave her her patch and everything. She was like, no, no, oh my God. And it was just, it was so cute. She just had this giant smile on her face. And she just like, even later on in the night, she was like, I can't believe that that like happened. Like, it was so sweet and it was so cute. The pixies swarm Becky. They take pictures, then a video to post on Instagram. One, two, three. (laughs) Roxy's the tallest, standing in the middle of the photo with an arm around Becky. The rhinestones on her biker vest catch the light. And she's smiling a proud, satisfied smile. It's the kind of smile you might give if you were saying, I told you so. Biker gang my ass. And maybe that's not the kind of happy ending you're used to seeing at the end of Disney movies. But it sure feels like one to Roxy. want to hear from you. Do you have a burning question about a brand? Call our customer service line for the answers you've always wanted. Or maybe you have a personal story about how a brand affected your life for better or worse. We want those stories too. Here's how to get in touch. Call us at 7313brands or email us at householdname at businessinsider.com. That's 7313brands and household name at businessinsider.com. And while you're at it, leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps people find the show. This episode was produced by Sarah Wyman, who, as a kid, never watched a Disney movie. With Anna Mazarakis, Amy Padula, and me, we had help from Janaki Mehta. Our editor is Gianna Palmer. Sound design and original music by Casey Holford and John Delore. The executive producers are Chris Bannon, Laura Mayer, Jenny Radelet, and me. Special thanks this week to Anna Fisher-Pinkert. Household Name is a production of Insider Audio. Stitcher.